Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God has been holding His wrath and holding His wrath, and finally His wrath will be poured out upon this earth. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 tells us that we will not be a partakers of God's wrath, that we have been set free from the wrath that is to come. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.9 after 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us about the rapture of the church. We've been talking about the last days here on Practical Christian Living and how we can know for certain that the stage is set for Jesus to return. If there's one fact that can keep us as believers holding on to hope, it's that we are just waiting for Jesus to rapture His church. And the tribulation period that's described in Scripture as the time of God's wrath is nothing we have to worry about if we abide with Christ. While we take great comfort in that, it should also motivate us to share the message of the gospel and the love of Jesus with others that they might be ready. With Matthew 24, 9 through 51, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Tonight we're going to look at prophecy and what happens next. In our study last week, we talked about what happens in the last days. We saw that the disciples come to Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Jesus had just told them that the temple was going to be destroyed, which was a prophecy and it came to pass. And then they said to him, very much like we would if we could sit down with Jesus, when are these things going to happen and what is going to be the sign of the last days? Jesus said a couple of things. He said, be careful that you are not deceived because many false teachers are going to go out. That has been history. History has been full of false teachers and we have the responsibility to make sure that we believe what the truth is. We have to search for the truth. We have to know what the truth is. And so Jesus said, beware because many false teachers are going to go out. He then told us what history was going to be like. There was going to be wars and rumors of wars. There would be pestilences. There would be famines. There are all of these things that would happen. And then he said that these are the beginning of birth pains. So history will be full of it. But the closer we get to the end, the more intense those things become. The interesting thing about birth pains, too, is for a long time, there's nothing. Then all of a sudden, there's a birth pain. And when we think of history and those difficulties that happen in history, a lot of times it seems like there's peaceful periods, but then there's times of intensity, and we're seeing that things become very, very intense. So as Jesus talked about these birth pains that take place, so he brought us to the very last birth pain. That is the tribulation period, the last seven years here on this earth. There are, before the tribulation period happens, and we're going to talk about that, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about the tribulation period, but before that happens, there are at least two things prophetically that will happen before that. Number one is the rapture of the church. The Bible says that the tribulation period is a time of God's wrath. It is a time of God's indignation, which is his anger. A lot of people don't like the fact that God is a judge and that God is going to pour out his wrath upon the earth. But if you and I could see everything that happens around the world, we would probably not be as patient as God has been. We would bring judgment. And God has been holding his wrath and holding his wrath. And finally, his wrath will be poured out upon this earth. First Thessalonians 5, 9 tells us that we will not be a partakers of God's wrath 
that we have been set free from the wrath that is to come. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, after 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us about the rapture of the church, that we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord and forever be with the Lord. Revelation 3.20 tells us that God is going to protect the faithful church from the hour of testing that is coming upon the earth. So the tribulation period is not only a time of God's wrath, it's a time of testing. God will test them and some of them will turn to him. Some of them who are not following him will turn to him and believe in him. The Bible also tells us in Luke 21, 23, that we're to pray that we would be counted worthy to escape all of these things that are going to come to pass. And as we're going to see, there's going to be some horrible things that happen during the tribulation period. And we definitely want to escape those things. Someone said, well, you just want to escape. Yes, it's true. I want to escape the tribulation period. I would like everyone to escape the tribulation period. And so he said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape these things that will come on as a snare to those who dwell on the earth. The same wording in Revelation 3.20, it's going to come to test those who dwell on the earth. So there are two sets of people. There are pilgrims, those of us who have come to Christ who are just passing through. This world is not our home. And then there are those that dwell on the earth. This earth is their home. And the tribulation period is God pouring out his judgment, but also testing those who dwell upon the earth. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3 says, For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Jesus told us this in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 as well. We don't know when it's going to happen. So we've got to always be ready. He said, if, if you knew what hour the thief would come, you'd just be up at that hour and you'd catch him. But since you don't know what hour the thief is going to come, you've got to be ready all the time. We have to have our lives right with Christ all of the time. And then he said, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. The tribulation period will begin at a time when everyone says peace and safety. I also believe that it comes during a time of particular wealth because mystery Babylon is destroyed during the tribulation period and the whole world weeps over it because they have been made wealthy by uh, mystery Babylon. Often when we think of the last days, we think of, you know, we think of, of apocalypse now. We think of smoke and destruction and helicopters. Those are the things we're thinking of. But it's a time of peace and safety. It's a time of wealth. Now, I realize that the majority of that wealth could have come during the beginning of the tribulation period, the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. But I think that it's got to come around somewhat before the tribulation period begins. The second thing that the Bible says, well, let me read you another passage. Some people will talk about the rapture of the church now in a negative way. In fact, I've had, as I've talked about it here recently, I've had some people ask me why I'm talking about it so much. Well, because the Bible talks about it. The Bible clearly teaches the rapture. But listen to what Peter says about the last days. He says, one of the signs of the last days is going to be scoffers that are going to scoff the return of the Lord. In 2 Peter 3.3, it says, knowing this, that first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, 
that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Time doesn't pass for God the way it passes for us. And so God, a day is like a thousand years. So it's been 2,000 years basically since Jesus was here. And God goes, that's two days. He goes on to say, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. Jesus will come back again. He will come back for his church. He will come and judge this world and he will return at the end of the tribulation period. He's not slack, but that says, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. God's desire is that none would perish and all come to repentance. So the more that he withholds, the more he stops it from happening, the more he pushes it back as far as he can, the more people come to Christ. And that is exactly what you and I want. So the rapture of the church is just on the horizon. We don't know when it's going to be. It could be 10, 15, 20, 30 years, 50 years maybe. Who knows? I don't think so. I think the fact that Israel has become a nation again, the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel that in the last days, God would restore the land of Israel, would restore the people to Israel, that they would become a nation born again in a day, and God would reach out a second time, Isaiah 11, 11 and 12, and he would bring them from the four corners of the world back into Israel. Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. The Jews have returned to Jerusalem. That is a sign of the last days. So I don't know how it could be a long, long time, but no one knows the day or the hour right? And so God could be long-suffering even longer. Another thing that's on the horizon is the war of Gog and Magog. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details on this war now, but the Bible tells us that there is a confederacy of nations that gather together against the reestablished nation of Israel. It includes Iran and it includes Russia. It includes Libya a lot of those nations that are against Israel today. In fact, if you take time to go to Ezekiel and look at the war of Gog and Magog and you look at the armies that are going to be aligned against the nation of Israel, they are the countries that do not like Israel today. The stage is set. And remember in that war of Gog and Magog, God brings a hook down to Gog. And, and again, Gog represents an evil leadership and brings him down against Israel and they are destroyed in the land of Israel and their bodies cannot be buried for seven months. So that is on the horizon yet from us. We don't know if that happens in the beginning of the tribulation period or if it happens before it. We don't know if the rapture of the church is the actual beginning of the tribulation period or if it happens before it. We do know when the tribulation period begins because there's a sign up in heaven and there is a sign on the earth. The sign in heaven is in Revelation chapter 5. Somebody told me here recently that Revelation, you just can't understand Revelation. I love the name of Skip Heitzig's book on the book of Revelation. The title is, You Can Understand the Book of Revelation. It's a perfect title because it really is not complicated. And there's a blessing. You will be blessed if you read and do the things that are written in the book. So there's a blessing for us to study it. But in Revelation chapter 5, there's a scroll that needs to be opened but they can't find anybody worthy to open it. And so remember, John begins to weep. And then an angel says, don't weep, for the lamb slain before the foundation of the world is worthy to open the scroll. And so the lamb of God that died for the sins of mankind takes the scroll 
Later on, it will talk about the wrath of the Lamb, and he tears that first seal. And when he tears that first seal, you have the first of the four horsemen that come forward, and the first four horsemen is the Antichrist. This man that comes on the scene that is giving great swelling words, he's backed by the false prophet, he's able to win the hearts of people politically, and he starts the tribulation period on earth the Lamb starts it in heaven by tearing that first seal and bringing the Antichrist forward. But here on earth it is started in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, He will make a covenant with many for one week. We know that it is a week of years, that it's a seven-year period, because it says in the middle of that week, He will commit the abomination of desolation. He will set up a statue in the newly rebuilt temple, and He will demand that He is God in the middle of the tribulation period. So the tribulation starts when he makes a covenant with Israel and the surrounding armies, maybe after the war of Gog and Magog. The Antichrist has a peace treaty, brings peace to the Middle East, and that is for a seven-year period. If you see somebody making a treaty with Israel and the people around them that hate them for a seven-year period, that's very close to the Antichrist. It's exactly what he does. And that starts the tribulation period. That is the beginning of it. The second thing that the Bible tells us about the tribulation period is that it is a time of Jacob's trouble. Listen to what Jeremiah 30, 6 and 7 say. It says, Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all the faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is a time of Jacob's trouble. Remember that Jacob had his name changed to Israel. It is a time of Israel's trouble, of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. What a great promise. It's a time that God will turn once again to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel. I told you about Ezekiel 34 and through 39, it says that the land's going to be restored, the people are going to be restored, military power is going to be restored. But do you know what the last thing to be restored is in Ezekiel? They will come back spiritually to the Messiah. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, Jewish people will receive him as their Messiah. I don't know exactly how that works. Some believe he has to be Jewish because of that, but we also know that he's connected to Rome somehow. We don't know exactly how all of this works together, but they will receive him as their Messiah. But then when the abomination of desolation happens, they will turn against him and they will receive Jesus as their Messiah. And the Antichrist will turn against them with all kinds of hatred and anger, the anger of Satan behind him, the dragon who attacks the nation of Israel. And God steps in and protects them supernaturally. That which becomes a time of Jacob's trouble becomes one of their biggest blessings ever because they receive Jesus as their Messiah and they are protected by him supernaturally. Now, with those things in mind, listen to what Jesus said when he talked first of all about the birth pains and then he comes to the tribulation period. Verse 9 of Matthew 24. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, talking to Jewish people now, and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. The Antichrist is the chief of those. 
And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. In our study last Wednesday night, we talked about how that applies to all of us. We all have to endure to the end to be saved. But here he's talking about the setting of the tribulation period. He who endures to the end will be saved. He goes on to say, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come and Jesus will send out, uh, God will send out angels that will proclaim the gospel around the world and even though an angel tells them, they still do not believe. Sometimes people will say things like, if an angel will tell me, then I'll believe. Well, an angel will literally tell people and they still will not believe. So Jesus continues and he talks about the abomination of desolation that we talked about in Daniel 9, 27. Let me read that first. Then he, this is the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. This tells us something else about the tribulation period. That a temple is going to be built on the temple mount. In Revelation, it says measure the temple, but don't measure the outer court. Personally, I don't believe all of the courts will be rebuilt again. I believe the temple will be rebuilt, maybe right next to the Dome of the Rock. If you go to Israel and you go up on the Temple Mount, there's the Dome of the Rock that is there, which is the mosque, and you've got the Alaska Mosque, which is off to the side. On the opposite side, there's something called the Dome of the Spirits. When you go there, don't miss looking underneath the Dome of the Spirits. It's kind of small, but you walk up and you look at bedrock, Mount Moriah bedrock right there as high as the Temple Mount gets. And some believe that that is where the Holies of Holies was, at the highest point on Mount Moriah. And you could build the temple next to the Dome of the Rock and build a wall, and Ezekiel says, that divides the profane from the holy, and you could build a wall and still have the sacrifices taking place there. So the temple will be rebuilt. There are those in Israel who are making the implements out of gold now for the temple. There are those in Israel who are trying to produce a red heifer that has to, be, has to be two years old and then has to be certified by a priest. There are those that believe that DNA now is allowing people to begin to, to discover who Levites are so that they can have priests again. What we do know is there will be a temple and there will be sacrifices on it. Maybe that's what the Antichrist does. Maybe the covenant he makes with many for one week is to give something to the Palestinians so that they can get half of the Temple Mount. It sounds like a good peace treaty, but I don't want to pursue it because I don't want to be the Antichrist. So I'll let someone else pursue it. But that could be it. So it says of this abomination of desolation, he will bring an end to the sacrifices of offerings and on a wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out upon the desolate. Now, this abomination of desolation, Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, verse 15. Look at it. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, now this is important because Jesus is now in 30, I don't know, we're going to call it the early 30s in his ministry. And he says that the abomination of desolation has not happened yet. There are those that believe that Antichaeus Epiphanes 
who was a, a ruler a couple hundred years before, who was overcome by the Maccabeans, who slaughtered a pig on the altar, that he committed the abomination of desolation. It was an abomination of desolation to be sure. It was a type of what the Antichrist would do. But Jesus said, when you see it, then know. So it will happen in the future. Also, we're gonna see that Jesus is gonna talk. Well, we'll get there in a few minutes. Verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything of his house. And let him who was in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babes in those days and pray that the flight may not be in the winter or in the Sabbath. Jesus is actually talking of a future point from here. The temple has been rebuilt. Then there's this abomination of desolation. And Jesus says, just flee. At that point, just go. Now, we do know that the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And there are those, there's a group of people called preterists. It's kind of a unique uh, last days eschatology. And they believe that the Romans fulfilled all that is here. They believe that that was the abomination of desolation when the Romans destroyed the temple. However, look at verse 21. For he says, for there will be a time of great tribulation, such, this is Jesus talking, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall there ever be. He says that when this abomination of desolation happens, it'll be a worse time than this world has ever seen and worse than anything it's ever going to see. It will be the pinnacle of what's, what's bad. When Titus marched on Jerusalem, he sieged it for four years and then he destroyed it. And that was bad. The destruction of the temple was bad but I don't think in any stretch of the imagination that you can say that it is the worst thing that has ever happened on the world or ever will happen. In fact, when you begin to understand what happens during the tribulation period, you begin to go, that's what it means. The Bible says that during the tribulation, there will be great catastrophes. There will be water contaminated and a certain percentage of the world will die. There will be heat and a certain percentage of the people will die. There will be great hailstones that will fall from the sky, 75 pounds, and a great number of people on the earth will die. There will be meteors that will hit the water and a percentage of the people on the earth will die. There will be meteors that hit the ground and a percentage of the world will die. There will be a pit that will be opened and scorpions that will come out that have hair like a woman and teeth like a lion, which just to give you a terrifying picture, right? The Bible says that. And they will sting men and they will want to die, but they will not be able to die. The sting won't kill them, but the sting will be so severe that they will want to die. And a lot more. In fact, the Bible says right before Jesus comes back again, that heaven and earth shake. There's not only an earthquake, there's a heaven quake. And the stars from the sky fall. You begin, imagine looking up into the night sky, feeling the earth shaking below you, but also seeing the stars falling from the sky as well. You know that this isn't just an event that's happening on the earth. It's an event that's happening in the universe. No wonder Jesus said, this is a time that is unlike anything the world has ever seen or anything the world will ever see. It is the reason that I reject preterism because the, what happened to the temple, although it is bad, 
is not as bad as what Jesus says, nor as bad as what Revelation tells us that the tribulation period is going to look like. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.